What this dying world could use is a willing man of God who dares to go against the grain and work without applause. A man who raised the shield of faith, protecting what is pure, whose love is tough and gentle, a man whose word is sure. God doesn't need an orator who knows just what to say. He doesn't need authorities to reason him away. He doesn't need an army to guarantee a win. He just needs a few good men. Men full of compassion who will laugh and love and cry. Men who will face eternity and aren't afraid to die. Men who will fight for freedom and honor once again. He just needs a few good men. He calls the broken, derelict whose life has been renewed. He calls the one who has the strength to stand up for the truth. Enlistment lines are open and he wants you to come in. He just needs a few good men. Men full of compassion who will laugh and love and cry. Men who will face eternity and aren't afraid to die. Men who will fight for freedom and honor once again. He just needs a few good men. Men full of love, compassion, who will laugh and love and cry. Men who will face eternity and aren't afraid to die. Men who will fight for freedom and honor once again. He just needs a few good men. He just needs a few good men. Jesus needs a few good men. I enjoy hearing our family sing, and of course when the girls sing with them, they look a whole lot better. But uh, they do a good job, and I appreciate that so very, very much. You know, Brother Hamlin has become a dear friend. Uh, Dr. Hamlin has been used all over the United States of America and in Canada and other places as well. But one thing that is true blue about him is when he is in the pulpit, he's the same as he is out of the pulpit. And he is just the same. There's nothing that he's putting on when he comes to preach, and God uses him in a wonderful way. And if you get to know him, once he becomes your friend, he stays your friend. And what a wonderful blessing that is to have in your life. And I appreciate him. God used him to be able to be an author. He writes many, many books. And of course, to preaching conferences around America, entered into evangelism in 1980, and has traveled and preached in hundreds of churches all over. And it's our privilege to have him this morning. Let's all stand and let's stretch our legs. And at the very same time, let's give him a big, big rousing applause, please.
Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. you may be seated. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. It is a wonderful joy and blessing to be back at the great Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas for our annual Baptist Leadership Conference. I am always excited and elated when I look at my calendar and see an approaching date when I'm to be with our dear friends, Dr. and Mrs. Mike Wells, the Wells family, and the wonderful church family of the Parkside Baptist Church. And then they added blessing in that the Parkside Baptist Church is also the home of the Lone Star Baptist College. There's much that's wrong with America, but when you flip that coin over, still in 2016, there's much that's right with America. And one of the things that's right with America is a preacher and preacher's wife and preacher's family and church family and college family like uh, Dr. and Mrs. Mike Wells, the Wells family, the Parkside Baptist Church, and the Lone Star Baptist College. I still recall now a number of years ago preaching uh, in the state of Texas in a revival meeting in Wiley. And on a Monday night, Dr. and Mrs. Wells came to hear me preach. And I believe with all of my heart that it was in that service that not only uh, God allowed our paths to cross, but I believe God knitted our hearts together. Dr. Wells is not an associate. He's not an acquaintance, but he is an actual friend. And I'm absolutely thrilled uh, in being here for the conference this year. Book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I so appreciate all of the special music and thank God for those that are talented and have given that talent over to the Lord. I want to preface my preaching this morning by saying that in the nearly 37 years that I've been in full-time evangelism, it would be safe to say that I have preached uh, hundreds of messages and have literally preached thousands of times. But what I want to say before I preach is out of all those hundreds of messages and having preached uh, thousands of times, there's not one single message, not one, that I pray over more than the message I'm going to attempt to preach this morning. I do not say that for effect. I say it because it is truth. And in a moment you'll see why that out of preaching thousands of times and preaching hundreds of messages, there's not one single message, not one, that I pray over more than the message I'm about to preach this morning. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, and I'll begin reading with verse number uh, 13 through verse number 15, where we find the text to the message. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse number 13 through verse number 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Please look back with me at verse number 15, book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
and verse number 15. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. There are two words in this verse that I wish this morning you'd underline, if not in your Bibles, then certainly in your minds. I've underscored them in my Bible, and they're the two words, His ministers. Word one, His. Word two, ministers. His ministers. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, when the devil takes the title, Reverend. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the Word of God. If I know my heart, I want to be a blessing. But the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts this morning, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I am away. Give us fresh warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from this morning. And Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And you may be seated. Today, in countless pulpits across the country and even around the world, the Prince of Darkness has hung a sign that plainly reads, Open for visit Business. It is impossible to even imagine the number one enemy of God and good calling a house of worship to order, carrying a Bible, and even being considered a member of the clergy. Satan is never more subtle than when he seems to be spiritual and speaking for that which is uh, there serious in its content and in its carrying of weight. Uh, when the devil takes a title, reverend. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find the apostle Paul warns about false teachers and walks through the trials he endured for the gospel. Now this chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this. Paul stand for the church, verses 1 and 2. Paul's sentiments for the church, verses 3 through 4. Paul's service for the church, verses 5 through 12. Paul's strong words for the church, verses 13 through 15. Paul's signpost for the church, 
verses 16 through 22, and then Paul's sufferings for the church, verses 23 through 33. It is well the Apostle Paul is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Paul's strong words for the church that a person finds a warning that crosses all days and dispensations. Verse 15, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Now, in the Bible, if you even have a casual uh, understanding of the Word of God, in the Scripture we see that Satan there transformeth himself uh, into at least three different things. We find in the Bible that Satan transformeth himself uh, into a beguiling serpent, Genesis 3.3. We see, secondly, that Satan there transformeth himself into a mother-in-law. I just wanted to see who was paying attention this morning and who had the guts to say amen. <laughs> Secondly, we see uh, that the devil transformeth himself into an angel of light or a minister of right, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. And thirdly, we see in the scriptures that Satan transformeth himself into a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. So on a Bible page, we find the devil uh, as uh, an, uh, their uh, beguiling serpent. We find the devil as an angel of light or a minister of right. And we find the devil as a roaring lion. Evangelist Oliver B. Green once penned about our text. Usually, when we think of the devil and where he is working, we think primarily of bars, gambling halls, drug houses, and other places of sin. He went on to write, but we must not forget that the devil in the person of his ministers is also in the pulpit and in the supposedly Christian school and the supposedly Christian organization. Never forget, if the, if the serpent can show up in paradise before the fall of man, then he certainly can show up in a pulpit after the fall of man. Now, if you miss everything that I preached this morning, I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating, if the serpent, if the serpent, if the serpent can show up in paradise before the fall of man, he can certainly show up in a pulpit after the fall of man. Friend, you and I, the unsaved and the saved, need to be able to detect when the devil takes the title reverend. Now the devil is no more a devil than when he tries to carry a Bible. The devil is no more than a devil than when he tries to speak for God. The devil is no more than a devil than when he tries to speak for that which is scriptural and spiritual. When the devil takes a title, reverend. Quickly, let me give you this morning three obvious signs when the prince of darkness steps into the shoes of a preacher. Quickly, let's notice it this morning when the devil takes the title, Reverend. Number one, attacks heaven's darling. 
John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A obvious sign when the prince of darkness steps in to the shoes of a preacher is he attacks heaven's darling. In John 1, 1, the apostle John tells us that if a person could commute back to where time and eternity intersected, they would see God the Father and God the Son, uh, the Word, Jesus Christ, coexisting in the glory world. That means before the sun would tell the earth good morning, before the moon would be the silent companion of many a sad heart at midnight, and before the stars would inspire humanity to reach up and catch one as it there shoots across the inky black sky, the forever Father and the supernatural Son walk down the corridors of the celestial city enthralled and engrossed with one another's company and companionship. Someone put it like this, ask the sun if ever it were without its beams. Ask the fountain if it ever were without its streams. So God was never without his son. Friend, you and I need to detect when the devil takes the title, reverend, he attacks heaven's darling. The Bible says in Luke 3, 22, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Mark it down the moment. A so-called minister denigrates, disparages, or decries the Lord Jesus Christ's message, ministry, miracles, or miraculous resurrection, he has brimstone breath, all the demons in perdition holler amen, and you had better stop listening to him. All the devil can take the title reverend, and when the devil takes the title reverend, he attacks heaven's darling. Tell me what a preacher believes about Jesus. Tell me what a pre preacher believes about the Son of God. Tell me what a preacher believes about the Savior. And you can pretty much figure out exactly what that preacher believes. Daniel Webster, the 19th century statesman, once dined in Boston with several intimate literary figures. Soon the conversation turned uh, upon uh, Christianity. Webster, a convinced Christian, confessed his belief in Christ and in his atoning work. A Unitarian minister was at the table. Now I probably ought to tell you that a Unitarian minister is a liberal that liberals won't fellowship with. Now you know you're sorry when a liberal won't run with you. You know you're in pretty bad shape when a liberal won't hang out with you. You know that you're pretty bad off when a liberal who has no standards says, I'm not going to uh, there spend time with you. The Unitarian minister was at the table and he responded, Mr. Webster, can you comprehend 
how Jesus Christ can be both God and man. No, sir, I cannot understand it, replied Webster. And I would be ashamed to acknowledge Christ as my Savior if I could understand it. He can be no greater than myself. And such is my conviction of my accountability to God, my sense of sinfulness before him, and my knowledge of my own incapability to recover myself that I feel I need a superhuman Savior. Mr. Webster was right. And you know when the devil steps into the shoes of a preacher because he attacks heaven's darling. Number two, let me hasten. I know I'm going to get stuck here. Number two, air conditions hell's depths. Mark 9, 44, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. An obvious sign when the prince of darkness steps in to the shoes of a preacher. He air conditions hell's depths. In Mark 9, 44, the apostle Mark tells us that a person must comprehend that the Bible teaches that the door of death for a lost soul is not a fire escape but a fiery entrance. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that prince of preachers once said, do not begin telling me that there's a metaphorical fire in hell. He went on to state no one uh, worries about that. If a man were to threaten to give me a metaphorical blow on the head, I should worry very little about it. He would be welcome to give me as many as he pleased. And what do the wicked say? We do not worry about metaphorical fires. And then Spurgeon stated, but they're real, sir. Yes, as real as yourself. Amen. Sidebar. Anybody that puts a drinking fountain and fan in hell must be making plans on moving in. And the reason that some preachers never preach on hell is because if I was going there, I wouldn't preach on it either. Oh, when the devil steps into the shoes of a preacher, he there attempts to air condition hell's depths. Now, there are three real reasons that I know hell has fire. And that fire is just as real as this pulpit. That fire is just as real as the pew that you're on this moment. That fire is just as real as the automobile that you rode in to the house of God today. And there's some real reasons that I know that hell has fire, real fire, genuine fire, authentic fire. First of all, the Savior said so. Matthew 13, 42, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. A real reason that I know that hell has fire is the Savior said so. If you don't like fire and brimstone preaching, you wouldn't have enjoyed Jesus very much because Jesus preached more on hell than he did on heaven. I said that, Dr. Wells, in a meeting not too long ago, and a fella came to the book table after the service, and if I can help you with something, the reason we come to the book table is to buy books. We don't, we don't come to the book table to argue, can a brother get a witness? 
In fact, I've just started recently. If you come to the book table and want to argue, I'm charging you three times for everything. And so this fellow came to the book table after I'd preached and he said, you know, Dr. Hamlin, you, you said this morning that, uh, that the Bible says more about hell than it does about heaven. And he said, that's not the truth. And he went to turn to walk away. And I reached over and I, I, I pulled on his coattail. You know, he was one of these uh, um, smarty pants, uh, which is just an ignoramus that has a dictionary in their back pocket. Welcome to the Baptist Leadership 2016 conference. I mean, it's pretty bad when you're an ignoramus and don't know it. And he said, you said that, that the Bible says more about hell than it does about heaven. And he turned to walk away and I pulled on his coattail and I said, no, sir, that's not what I said. What I said was, is Jesus in his earthly ministry preached more about hell than he did about heaven. You see, a reason that I know that hell has fire, the Savior said so. Secondly, the scriptures said so. Oh my, uh, Revelation 20 and 14, uh, and death and hell were cast in to the lake of fire. A reason that I know that hell has fire is the scripture said so. You cannot be a true, uh, bona fide, uh, and uh, uh, real Bible believer without saying amen to every fiery verse on hell. You see, the Bible is not a spiritual smorgasbord. It's not that you accept what you want and reject what you don't want. Either you accept it all or you don't accept any of it. The Scripture said so. And then thirdly, the sinner said so. Luke 16, 24, and he cried, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may tip, uh, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. A reason, a real reason that I know that hell has fire is the sinner said so. A lost person who's been in a crisis eternity for centuries still cries back, water, water, water. All oh, that every single individual that was in this service this morning would realize the reasons I know that hell has fire. The Savior said so. The Scripture said so. And the sinner said so. An American troop ship just before landing on an enemy shore before a particular battle during World War II the soldiers crowded around their chaplain. Many of these men would never see today turn into tomorrow. Many of these men would literally go into the jaws of death never to return. Many of these men would never see uh, a wife, would never see a child, would never see another loved one. And as they were getting ready uh, to storm uh, that enemy shore, they crowded around their chaplain and they said, one was a spokesman and said to this chaplain, speaking for all the other soldiers, sir, do you believe in hell? And he smugly said, no, I do not. And the spokesman for the 
those soldiers said, then sir, would you please resign? Because if there isn't a hell, we don't need you. And if there is a hell, we don't wish to be led astray. And I say to every one of these sorry, good for nothing, low down preachers uh, that never preach on hell, you ought to resign. You ought to get out of the ministry. You ought to quit taking money under false pretenses. Oh, when the devil takes the title reverend, he air conditions hell's depths. And then number three, and last of all, my time is gone, not only attacks heaven's darling and air conditions hell's depths, but number three, and last of all, attaches works to heaven's declaration. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, an obvious sign when the prince of darkness steps into the shoes of the preacher is he attaches works to heaven's declaration. In Ephesians 2.8, the apostle Paul tells us that a person is not converted by their good works, not the good works of man, but they're converted, oh my, by the wonderful grace of God. The best acronym to remember about God's grace is their God's riches at Christ's expense. The hymn writer was spot on when he penned, Naught have I gotten, but what I've received. Grace hath bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Oh, it was my mentor. Dr. Tom Malone Sr. that said trying to get to heaven on your own good works is like trying to bead a pearl necklace with no knot on the end. In other words, it is forever futile. Friend, you and I need to detect when the devil uh, takes the title, Reverend, as he attaches works to heaven's declaration. The Bible says in Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whenever a so-called preacher tells you that to be forgiven of your sins, you have to bribe, beg, or there buy your way into heaven, bribe, beg, or buy, just look at his ordination certificate and see where the devil has infixed his signature. If you have to bribe your way into heaven, why did Jesus die? If you have to beg your way to heaven, why did Jesus die? If you have to, if you have to buy, I wish somebody helped me preach this morning. If you have to buy your way into heaven, why did Jesus die? Why you look at the cross and from the cross you see Jesus crowned in thorns and robed in blood. He laid down his life. They did not take his life. Jesus is not a martyr. He is a savior. He laid down his life and then three days later he triumphantly rose again from the dead. I mean when it comes to that grave Jesus was up and out like a fat kid in dodgeball. 
I have no grave concerns since the stone is rolled away. And if a preacher tells you that you go to heaven by your works, that you go to heaven by way of a wafer, that you go to heaven by way of worry beads, that you go to heaven by way of water, that you go to heaven by way and then fill in the blank of the wicked thing that he's trying to get you to trust. You mark it down and mark it well. You're not listening to God's man. You're listening to the devil's man. And just as God has his preachers, the devil has his preachers too. I got to the room late last night and I made the mistake of turning on the television. Usually when you turn on the television, it is a mistake. And I made the mistake of turning on the television and it was set to a so-called Christian channel. And a fellow made this statement. He said, you can close the door to the devil in your life forever. Of course, he had no Bible in his hand. He quoted no Bible verse. And I heard that and I said, that's true. And I changed the channel. I changed the channel. Dr. Wells, back in uh, February, I was on a late, late Saturday night flight from Atlanta. I'd started my day that afternoon in Mobile, and I changed planes in Atlanta, and I was flying on to Lexington to be with one of our conference preachers all day on a Sunday and staying over to preach in his Bible college. And as I got to my seat in Atlanta to take that quick flight from Atlanta to Lexington late on that Saturday night, I sat next to a fella that was, uh, he was clergy. And I want you to know that there's a huge difference between clergy and a God-called preacher. And I, and I sat next to this fellow, and, uh, and uh, he found out I was a preacher. And not very long in the conversation, I, I found out that, 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 that he, was, he was clergy. And he, he gave me his card, and I, I looked at his card. If, if I'm lying, I'm frying. I looked at his card, and uh, I mean, he had more shingles on that card than a hardware store. And not one of those shingles have even a half a Bible verse to support it. So he gave me a business card. I, I reached in my pocket, and I bypassed the business card, and I gave him a gospel track. He wanted to talk about shop. And I didn't want to talk about shop. I wanted to talk about the Savior. Because there's many a reverend, there's many a minister so-called, there's many a preacher that is a million miles from salvation and leading multitudes astray. God has his preachers. There's one. Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday night in, Wednesday night out, month in and month out, year in and year out, fills this pulpit by the name of Dr. Mike Wells and he brings other God's preachers in. But as sure as God has his preachers, the devil has his preachers as well. And you can spot them, you can see them, you can sense them. Because they attach works to heaven's declaration. 
What is your doctrine, your belief? Asked an examining committee of Mel Trotter, a converted drunkard, as the committee sought to ascertain his qualifications for the gospel ministry. My doctrine is the Monroe Doctrine, said Trotter. He meant that he believed in the heart-transforming power of the gospel as exemplified in the miraculous conversion of Harry Monroe, who had sunk to the lowest depths of sin and uh, was humanly a hopeless alcoholic. After Harry Monroe's conversion, he became superintendent of the world-famed Pacific Garden Mission of Chicago. There he brought many outcasts to a saving knowledge of Christ. Don't miss this. We shouldn't sit under the ministry of any preacher, of any evangelist, of any pastor, that does not believe 210% in the Monroe Doctrine. And the Monroe Doctrine is the grace of God can reach all the way to the guttermost and take one to the uttermost. Out of all the hundreds of messages I've preached, of all the thousands of times I've stood in a sacred desk. There is not one single message that I pray over more than the message I'm preaching this morning because if the devil could, he'd stop me right now. If the devil could, he'd keep you from hearing what you heard this morning. If the devil could, he would absolutely pull anything out of his insidious bag of tricks to hinder a service like this because he doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know that he has his preachers. Right. 